I had no access to money. He would go out of town for five or six days at a time and I would be home, no money. And I would call him and be like, can I write a check at Dominic's to get some food? And he'd be like, no, there's no money. I'm Amy Peterson. And I'm Steph Wayne. And we are Tragically Uncurious. So our last podcast was about how we make decisions on spending and purchasing. And I thought about money all week long based on that. I thought we'd do a part two and see if we couldn't have a little more substance to what we were saying. I know the two of us, so I don't have super high hopes, but I thought we could come at it from a little different angle. So money. Oh, why do we think about money the way we do? Where did that thinking come from? I thought maybe we could take a journey back to when we were kids, what our experience with money was when we were teens, when we first got out on our own and see if there is patterns. Oh, okay, you go. In my household growing up, my parents never sat us down and said, this is money. This is how you balance a budget. My parents fought incessantly about money. Every minute of every day, it's all I remember from my childhood is just fighting over money. So I knew from a very young age that I was never going to fight over money. That if it came to that, I just would be out. I don't want to do that. That's interesting. Do you remember your parents and no. money? I remember that my mom was very responsible with money and she had a Christmas club. Is that a thing still? That is one of the things on my childhood money list that I wrote down was the Christmas club. Yeah. And I would remember going through the bank with her. And my sister does this too. My mom had certain accounts at some banks and certain accounts at other banks. And I remember we would go through and make her deposits and she'd have them all like very neatly lined up with their deposit slip. And she would be like, this goes in this account, this goes in this account, this goes in my Christmas club account. And I remember her being very responsible with that. And But I don't know why. I know nothing about it, but that it happened. But I, I, every January, I think, you should start a Christmas club. And then come August, when you start shopping for Christmas presents, you won't be stressed out. December? No. December August. when you start shopping? August. <laughs> I, but I never do. When we were kids, we did the Christmas club. And I remember it was $2 a week. So you'd have $100. And I never remember completing that because when we were little and we were doing that, we weren't old enough to work at jobs. We babysat and stuff, maybe. But sometimes I didn't have two bucks. Time out. I just listened to this thing about Gen Xers. And it was a questionnaire for, are you a Gen Xer? Are you a boomer? Or I couldn't remember. Your attempt at humor right now is not <laughs> I even was just working. Wondering if it would, this would work with you. But anyway, they asked a bunch of questions, and one of them was, How young were you when you were babysitting other kids? Oh, 11. Yeah, very young. And, anyway. and babysitting little, little kids, kids yeah. at 11, uh-huh. 12 for sure. And even at that age, knowing that I did not like it, I did not want to do that long term. I loved it. We just played. It was fun I knew just you to did. go play. No. <laughs> nope. That was not for me. Anyway, yeah, we were probably babysitting very young. Yeah. We didn't take classes either. No, my niece babysits now and she did take classes and I think she's CPR certified and she took a babysitting class and she babysits a lot. She makes good money. When I was a kid, it was the last I remember 
it was $5 an hour for the first kid and then two additional dollars for additional kids. So if a couple couples were going out and they had six kids that I was watching, I felt like I was rolling in the dough. But it was so little, you know, now you look back and it was such a little amount of money, but it was not hard work. And the other thing I do regret, I think of this more times than I should that than are rational, but I would go to people's houses and they would be so clean and tidy. And when I left, they were disasters. Oh, they were. No, sir. My mom always told me that after those kids go to bed, your job is to help out around that house. And I would do the dishes and I would clean the counters. And if there was laundry or towels, I would fold it. And I always tried to leave it neat and tidy. No, I did not. It never even occurred to me. As a matter of fact, in my adulthood, probably within the last 10 years, I have run into one of the moms I babysat for all the time. And I just said, I am so sorry. I know that I left your place an absolute disaster every single time I babysat. And she said, yeah, but my kids didn't want anyone else to babysit. You were probably fun. I probably was no fun. Can you imagine how pissed off they must have been when they came? There's like pillow forts and towels and blankets everywhere. (laughs) And me just sleeping on the couch. Not it's not cleaned up and I'm doing nothing. Nothing. Here's the other thing I was thinking about is the age discrepancy of which kids you would watch. I was a senior in high school and realized I had been babysitting a kid that was a sophomore. Not in high school, but like I was in eighth grade and he was probably in sixth. (laughs) Yeah. Like what? How did that make sense? That child is probably a boy and boys can't be trusted till they're much older. Well, I was going to say and I was just an exceptionally mature child. Okay. Anyway, back to this money thing. Yes. Okay. So money in my life as a child represented chaos. What did money represent in your childhood? I say this all the time, but I feel like I don't have a lot of like clear cut memories. And my parents did not fight a lot. And I don't feel like they fought about money. But my sister, she said she never felt pressures or felt like she needed to worry about money as a child. But I felt like I did. I feel like I remember not because I said it my parents were fighting or that I heard anything, but I don't feel like money was always easily accessible. And I think they, you know, did struggle. And I remember trying to be more cautious about stuff. And my sister doesn't at all. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah. We can go into that for hours. Oh, I know about, about how, how we're raised in the same house, but totally different. <laughs> yes. Having a totally different yeah. outlook on it. She said, they had the first car phone I'd ever seen in my whole life. And I was like, yeah, but we never called anyone on it. It was like $900 a minute. <laughs> I know all about that. Yeah, you are terrible. We never got allowance. So oh, no, I'll see there. So when we wanted money, we had to ask for it. And I remember my dad giving us $5 on Friday nights and being like, this is so much and feeling like you Mm -hmm. knew what a sacrifice it was for him to give you that five dollars and so we would go to pizza hut and have pizza and then he would give us five dollars and that was like a a big thing Mm -hmm. but i remember being appreciative of it were you at pizza hut because you got to book it i have no idea what you're talking about you don't know what book it is no are you serious yeah you guys did not have it no in school, you would read books and you would get this little thing and you get like a little sticker for every book you read. And once you read enough books, you took it to Pizza Hut and you got a personal pan pizza and it was called Book It. 
they may have had that. I wasn't participating. I was. I loved it. I was reading so many books and getting bookets. And then we would go and my dad or mom would give me a couple quarters for the jukebox and I would play Tom Petty's Free Falling. And I think about Tom Petty and Pizza Hut and Book It together. They're a threesome. I can't believe you guys no. you didn't have Book It. Maybe we did. I don't know. I remember personal pan pizzas oh, and yum. I feel like there was a reward for it, but I couldn't tell you that it was Book It. Do you still think you would love to eat Pizza Pizza right now? No, I think I would hate it. I actually know I would. Oh, I think it would still be good. I think it holds the test of time. Not when you live here and you have so many good pizza places. In Oswego? In this area. Okay, Gario's. <laughs> there are Hatch actually. Lose. There are good places there are. around here. But I think it would. And I also, I absolutely loved Pizza Hut's Taco Pizza. My favorite ever. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to go to Happy Joe's. And Happy Joe's had the best Canadian bacon because it was little chunks. It wasn't the thin slices. Ugh. And they had the best taco pizza ever. Yeah. Because when I was going to Davenport, I said to my friend Angie, who had just been there, I'm like, ask your friends a couple good places that me and the kids could eat. That was our Christmas trip one year to Davenport. And she goes, oh, the, they said the best pizza place out there is Happy Joe's. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a dumb chain of crappy pizza. When I was a kid, I loved it. I was so It insulted. tasted like beer. The cheese on the top, they used cheddar and mozzarella, I think. I don't know. I loved it. I thought it was amazing pizza. Well, you and Angie and her friends can go eat there anytime. I was like, this is disgusting pizza. It wasn't disgusting. It and was. it was a place in, that you could go stand on these little stairs and you could watch them make your pizza in the back, sort of like Luigi's used to be in Aurora before oh, it was torn down. Yeah. And so that was super fun. You were like, are they making our pizza? And so that was exciting. Whatever. Okay. You get past your childhood and mm -hmm. then you get into your teens. You're making your own money. Mm -hmm. Are you putting money in your bank account when you're babysitting and stuff? Or are you spending it as quick as you get it? I was probably spending it as quick as I got it, but I had to pay for my gas and my insurance and I paid for my first car. So a lot of it was going to that. Right. And, you know, that was your lifeline, you know. I don't think that I was ever in a position to save anything no. oh, when, gosh, I was, no. mm -mm. when I was young. No, or I would try to save maybe a little bit for like Christmas or if my boyfriend's birthday was coming up, I'd save. But then I just learned how to sew and I made him a quilt because that's what all high school boys want is a quilt. <laughs> God, I wish I had known that. My high school experience could have been so much better. I know. <laughs> you could have entered it in the fair too. <laughs> in high school... You had a job. You were spending most of the money on car payments and maybe car yeah. payments no, and no, no, no. gas and insurance and stuff. And I remember thinking about my kids and <laughs> being like, we got to tell them we're not paying their insurance anymore. Yeah. Like it was not even when we got a car, we just It was knew, understood. Yeah, Absolutely. that we were paying that. Mm -hmm. And maybe part of me doing that and my husband too, I mean, he's the youngest of eight, is yes. that there was so little for us if we can help them out in that way. So I was completely distracted from going to college because I was working full time so I could pay my rent. And that's not an excuse to not no, graduate college. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it just complicates things. It does. And here's the other thing is I had every intention of telling my children that they had to pay for their own car insurance and their car and their gas but 
I mean, if I'm being 100% honest, then their dad died and we had a free car and I was getting social security for them and I felt like I can't make them pay for something that this should be used for. And now Dustin's still on my insurance. He still doesn't do his dishes and he's a slob. Once our kids bought their own car, then they had to get their own insurance because the other cars were in Scott's name. So we wanted to insure them. Dustin would be off the udder right. at our house by now on that one. He paid for the majority of his education. So I know that your experience is different than mine because you were having babies when I was trying to launch myself. And I got into credit card debt. Oh, yeah. And I had $1,300. That's <laughs> not credit card debt. Yeah. Well, this was 1988, 89 mm. in there. And I had, I had $1,300 in credit card debt and I was dating Big Daddy. And he had gotten a company car and he said, you can drive my Acura. You have to sell your car and pay off your debt and you can never have debt again. And so <laughs> Big Daddy and I would have not lasted long. <laughs> so I met some Russians. Oh <laughs> I think they were Polish God. in the parking lot of a bank. And I sold that car for $1,300. And I went into the bank and checked all the dollars <laughs> and, <laughs> to make sure that they were real. And then by the real. time you sent your payment in with compounding interest, it was like fourteen seventy five. <laughs> no, no, I paid it all off. And I never from that moment have had revolving debt oh, ever again. Same, I, well, same. that's not entirely true. Like we would do that year interest free Oh, and sure, we sure, would sure. pay it off before the end of the year. We would do that when we were first getting started. I remember being like, oh my gosh, I don't even have my own car right now. I'm driving someone else's car. Oh, like it, it was. I'm in my mid 40s, and guess what? I'm sharing a car too. So <laughs> we weren't I'm sharing it. in your 20s that we, you didn't. We weren't sharing it. He had a company car, and I was driving his car. That was a pivotal moment. Yeah. I didn't talk about that on our pivotal moment show, but that was a moment when I was like, okay, I have to figure out how to live within my means. When I dreamed about what I want to do, and I never, ever once remember dreaming, I want to be a millionaire or I want to be rich. No. I never had that dream. I just always assumed I would live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, same. I still do. <laughs> I wanted I saw the movie St. Elmo's Fire and I knew the one girl all I knew is that she worked in a social service agency in the city and that's all I wanted to do Demi Moore no Ali Sheedy no oh the girl with the glasses yes <laughs> nobody remembers her name. exactly because she was just out there doing it working in the city helping people that's all I wanted I thought oh I want to live in a city and I just want to do something that's kind I don't want to do cocaine and lock myself out and make Rob Lowe jump through a window. But you would have taken it Rob Lowe jump through your window anyway. Rob Lowe doesn't do it for me, so probably not. <gasps> Even then? No, he looks like skin cancer. What? I would have never picked him out of all of them. Oh my gosh, he would have been for sure first choice. No questions asked. He's too pretty. No, thank you. He is so pretty. Obviously, I would have picked Judd Nelson because of his role in The Breakfast Club. Because he's dirty sexy. He's not dirty sexy. <laughs> he's a Republican in that show. Then St. Almost Fires, so I probably wouldn't have picked him. But Wait, 
You know I'm obsessed with Benicio del Toro and how he's got that dirty, so sexy look. So is my look. sister. I, I don't know what it is, but he played a role where he was a normal guy. And I was like, oh, stop. You play dirty, sexy roles. Don't Get play Get back those. to dirty, sex. So back to what we were yeah, talking sorry. about. No signals fire. Yeah. I thought that I was managing my money when I subtracted everything that I spent, you know, all the checks I wrote. And then I balanced it at the end of the month and I had $10 left. I was like, I'm thriving. Yeah. I never had a notion that you don't have to live like that. You don't have to be worried every freaking month whether you're going to pay your bills. But sometimes you do. Elaborate. Sometimes it's impossible to get out of that. Out of the situation of paycheck to paycheck? Yeah. Are you saying that you feel like you're living that? Yeah, I feel like I'm always fighting against something. I feel like it is harder. And not for me. I do a poor job managing money when I should do a better job. But I feel like there's very often times where people, that's not going to change for them. I can only speak from my experience, which was well, I had nothing. And then I said, I'm never going to live outside of my means again. And then I never did. Like, for example, when I first got married at the ripe old age of 20 and I worked and John had just gotten this new job in sales. So after I had Dustin, I was going to stay home because daycare was expensive then, too. Then I started went back to the Y and worked before and after school care, if you can believe that. That's where I learned how to play chess. And (laughs) I second grader. Yes. And he was the only person working. He controlled all of the money. I had no access to money. He would go out of town for five or six days at a time and I would be home, no money. And I would call him and be like, can I write a check at Dominic's to get some food? And he'd be like, no, there's no money. And I was pregnant with Dustin. And then after I had him and I drove this old Mercury Cougar that was John's and the door didn't open. So I would have to Dukes of Hazard my pregnant body in and out of that window. And then I would have to put my baby through the window into the backseat for a very long time. Was it true that you couldn't afford it? I don't know because at the time I was more of a trad wife then apparently. I didn't even know it. And by the way, trad wife means traditional wife. Yeah. Which (sighs) I didn't know. Someone said trad wife the other day. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't take it as an insult. I was going to say, but you don't know what it is because you are one. Yeah, because it's not insulting. We moved to Florida and uh, things were pretty much exactly the same for a long time. But I worked when we were there too. I worked and then like that would be what we used for Christmas gifts or if the kids needed something extra or... He was very smart with money and we, we definitely were not living outside of our means. We had this beautiful house that we built and... We had no furniture <laughs> forever, never when we were living there. and But he did a very good job and he invested wisely and he did all of those things, but it wasn't something that we did together. So I never really learned it. And then when I was on my own, it wasn't something that I had inherently learned. And so I was probably very poor at it then too. But I was very poor. I had a poor paying job and two little kids and for a long time, no child support or help. And so that was definitely a struggle and I think then during that time I had to learn to budget and be better but it was hard it was very hard and I can understand that I'm not saying that it doesn't happen and it can't happen I'm not saying that at all I think it's harder when you have kids young in that situation if we had been single and started out it 
probably would have been a lot different. And I remember for myself, when I lived on my own before I met Scott, I did not have insurance for a long time. I would make my car payment or insurance payment and I wouldn't eat. Mm -hmm. You... I worked at Osco Drug at the time. And if people wanted to get a hold of me when my phone was disconnected, they had to call Call Osco Osco. (laughs) to try to contact me. So I think at that time, it didn't think about it until you're a mom like me. And you're looking at your kids and you're like, oh my God. Right. How am I going to do this? What am I going to do? Yeah. Or how did I do it? They they both graduated college and got these jobs and they didn't have to do any of the stuff that we had to do. Their experience is so different, Mm -hmm. almost unrelatable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So if that's the case, then I feel like I'm obligated to teach them. Right. You're fortunate and you're you have this college education you're getting money know what to do with your money don't just start making money and hope that someday life will give you a million dollars if you want something like that in your life then you have to think bigger than you are now and I will say one of my biggest blessings was that I had been working at the Y so long that I became vested at 21 and they've put 10% of my salary every year into a retirement fund for me automatically. But it wasn't until I was probably almost 40 that I started putting anything myself in. That definitely was a saving grace. I had a manager who was also one of my best friends, Karen Schuster, and she bullied me into getting a 401k. Right. And I was like, I can't afford to give anything. And she's like, you can afford to give 3%. Yeah. I well, watched if that. you weren't giving 10 to the church, you could have given 13. <laughs> I had no treasure to give, just time and talent. <laughs> That's where I went wrong. I think there have been people speckled who tried to help me along the way. If I hadn't met Scott, would I have figured it out? I don't know. Right. I don't yeah. know. Because even still, if something happened to him, do I really have my head wrapped around it enough? He has enough systems in place. You would have avenues to figure it out. I know the right people to call. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What I'm saying is I still have a scarcity mentality Mm -hmm. from when we were kids. We had commodity cheese. My dad was laid off in the winters. It wasn't rainbows and butterflies. When you grow up like that, no matter how much you have when you get older, you have areas of your life where you can be very generous. But in a lot of things in my life, I still have that scarcity mentality. Oh, I don't want to spend that money because I don't really need it. Expensive bags. And I spent $129 a couple times on a bag. And I was like, oh, God, I feel so guilty about that. I mean, it was horrible. You are not a big spender. I will say that. I don't need or want a lot of things. It does, I think, still come from that scarcity mentality. Big Daddy's retired now. And I feel nervous (laughs) I do too because he's so annoying (laughs) I'll give you an example of my scarcity mentality that I have to let go of when Bennett was five he had bunk beds in his room and he had twin sheets they're orange and they're made of t-shirt material and I hate them I hated them then I hate them now they're they don't go on the bed well it takes forever to make the bed because they stick Mm -hmm. you can't pull them up they're the worst And we have them now on two beds at the lake. Every time people come over, they sleep on them. I have to redo those sheets. He came downstairs the other day and I was making the bed and I was cursing. I'm like, I freaking hate these sheets. They're such bullshit. And he's like, 
you can just get new twin sheets. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with these except for they're annoying. And he's like, okay, just get new sheets. So I was at Marshall's the other day and I went to their sheets department and I found two sets of twin sheets and they were $16.99 each. And when I got up to the register, I was like, do I need to spend this 30 bucks? I mean, it takes me five extra minutes to make each of those beds. And then I was like, why am I even giving this any thought at all? Why? Because it goes back to being a kid and being raised in a certain mentality. Right. You can't be wasteful. Right. I mean, are those sheets comfortable, the ones you're going to buy? Are they cheap? What's their thread count? Oh, I don't care. No? Not in the slightest bit. That's a bunch of teenagers or 20 something sleeping out oh, of them. I do but not for care. yourself do you are you oh yeah okay no, for I was myself, like you don't care no for myself I care a lot oh yeah, yeah that is too. one thing I will spend a lot of money on because I'm in them so long and I have a hard enough time sleeping yes I can't too. get anything with a microfiber in it because then they don't breathe you yes you get so you, hot I, like, I no, 100% discovered cotton. the cooling ones and I like them a lot I'll have to discover the cooling ones I did I a lot of research on them, actually. Do you think you can trace any of your money philosophies and thoughts back to that time with John or I, childhood? Maybe. I don't know if it was like a, I felt so repressed that I was like, now I'm going to do whatever I want and get whatever I want because I wasn't allowed to probably a little bit. But I think mine is similar to all the issues I have. It's feeding an insecurity. If I don't feel like I look right, if I don't feel like I'm comfortable, if I don't feel like I have all black on head to toe, then I feel uncomfortable in situations. So probably I could just stop and wear one of the 900 other things that I have. But there's this part of me that feels like... Do you ever think, I work hard, I can get this dress? No, not lately. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I do. I do sometimes. It's not a common thought for me. Like around my birthday, maybe I'm like, you know, reward yourself. Your kids aren't going to remember. They're not going to buy you anything. Sometimes I'm like, treat yourself. But in other areas, I'm not. I drive a very old car that I don't care about. I would say my downfall is clothes and shoes. But that's it. I don't go crazy for my house. In your mind, do you justify it? Do you say things like, well, I don't spend money on my car, so... I can afford this. But I I don't have a car payment that's $300 a month or $500 a month. So I can spend that. Right. Yeah. It's that free money. I probably do that a little. But I also do like this coat that I'm wearing right now. I got for $13 three years ago. And I absolutely love it. It's so ugly, but it is so comfortable and it is so warm. And I've worn it every cold day to walk my dogs. And so the cost versus wear on this is like, this coat is giving me money. (laughs) Her coat that she's wearing right now, it's shiny like a glad bag. bag. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got stitching in it that makes it look puffy. And the reason I'm describing that is because my stepdad, Cliffy, showed up at our family Christmas (laughs) in a jacket just like that. And it was purple. And it had zippers on the sleeves. He looked like a pimp when he walked in. And then he put on this stretchy cap thing that he had. And Ted, my brother, was dying. He's like, He probably got out of the women's section at Target. He probably did. I swear to you, he must have. It was purple. And it was puffy. And it was shiny. And I was like, Cliff, you always know how to buy sassy outfits. 
I think part of it too was John was such a like a scavenger of is that the word I don't know he was so tight with money about everything like after he passed away I had found some canceled checks that I had framed because I thought it was hilarious for his family and it was a five dollar and sixty cent NICOR bill or like twelve dollars to ComEd because he was keeping his costs low. I know, but and when I think of that stuff, that feeds right into scarcity mentality. Yes. He was proud of that. And then he also went through a stage where he was shopping at the Goodwill a lot, and he'd be like, it kind of fits. So he had a bunch of pants that were way too short, but they fit in the waist, or the they fit the length, but they were he just wore a belt. And I think probably I was revolting against that, too. You know, I don't know. I don't know why I'm as messed up as I am. I listened to that podcast, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. They have couples on who have different opinions about money, and they are at their breaking point. They want to get on the same page. They want to think alike. They want to have a dream for a rich life, but the way they think about money affects it. And it always goes back to how you grew up. The other thing is that... I am so regimented in most of my life. I'm very regimented about how much I work out, how much I eat, and when I eat. At work, I'm pretty regimented. At home, you know, I get very upset and bothered if things aren't put where they are and if there isn't a place for everything. And I like things clean and picked up. It's like the one area that I'm spending so much time concentrating on all of these things that then I'm like, I just, I can't take one more thing on to be crazy about. I just wonder where that comes from. I don't know. I'm going to lose my mind if I have to be crazy about one more thing. But you couldn't let go of something else? No. <laughs> no. It sounds to me like it's a house of cards. It is. <laughs> the, my whole life is. I want my children to have learned from us how to be confident in saving and growing their money and spending on themselves and splurging but not at the cost of saving for the future. I need them to understand that lean years are okay. Struggling financially, there's nothing wrong with that. But also, I want them to understand that they have unlimited earning potential. I never understood this. If you are at a job and you're not making the kind of money you want to make, pick up a side hustle. Who cares? Go do something fun that you want to do on the side. There's a million things you can do. Although I see my son doing that and he picks a career and his side hustles are also limiting financially. So he's putting all this money and time in. But his reward comes from how much he enjoys it. You know, like teaching is not, especially in the beginning, a lucrative position. And then for his two side jobs, he chose coaching, which also isn't lucrative. But the time he puts in is huge. The payout isn't that. But he absolutely loves it. He wouldn't be content not making that money and just sitting on the couch at home. Right. Absolutely. If you want to make more money, that is your time to try anything. Every opportunity is open to you. Right. Try them all. Do everything. Yes. While they're young. When I was their age, I didn't have that. Not while they're young. At any time in your life. Sure. But I mean, right now when they're young and they don't have kids yet that after work, you're like, oh, I could get a second job. I could get a side hustle, but I want to go home and see my kids. So I think it's easier, definitely easier when you're younger or when you're older and you're lonely and you don't have kids anymore. When I was their age, I was well on the way to my (laughs) divorce and... (laughs) 
second marriage. Right, second marriage <laughs> and a stepdaughter, and I had no time for that. As women, I feel like we need to empower ourselves. And one of the ways that we empower ourselves is through understanding money, being in charge of it, understanding how do we create a life that we want for when we can no longer work because there's going to come a time when we can't. And the concept of thinking about your rich life and what you want that to be and with great specificity, I think can change over time. But what a gift to sit down and say, by the time I'm 40, I want to do X. I tell my kids all the time, it costs you nothing extra to dream wildly big than it does to dream small. So sky's the limit. You want to go to Italy for 10 days? Put that down. You want to go lay in a snowbank in Iceland and look at the Aurora Borealis? Write it down. Have those conversations with your partner. And communicate with your partner. And I think that was not to make excuses for why I'm not great with money, but I do think that that is definitely another issue that aided to my not being as successful as I could have been. I didn't have a partner. I didn't have anyone else to do that with. So I was trying to balance all of these decisions by myself. I think if you have somebody that wants to work towards those goals with you, and is, you know, maybe a little bit smarter in it than you, then it's, then it's way more helpful. It was hard for me when I was working, even when I was working for you, it was hard for me to advocate with me for myself when it came to money. I wasn't good at saying, oh, I'm not at all. Absolutely I'm grossly not. underpaid. <laughs> you need to pay me more right. or I got to go because I loved the job right. so much mm-hmm. that I never I wouldn't have left it. I remember working in sales and I would get my sales statement and they were super convoluted and I didn't go through them to make sure that I wasn't ripped off. They're never making errors in your favor. They're always making errors in their own favor. I wasn't even a good enough steward of my own money to ensure that I was getting paid properly. Right. I didn't turn in mileage sometimes. Even now, I don't even turn in mileage sometimes. I don't think I've ever turned in a check for mileage in 21 years, 20 years. Is that being your own best advocate? No. 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 I look back on these different times in my life when I could have been bold and I was not. I think I worry that being bold and self-advocating comes off as greedy and demanding and that's not something I would ever want to be portrayed as. So I take the lesser of two evils. And also I'm working for a nonprofit. It's for the greater good. And you have kind of that mentality too. If I was working for Pfizer, I might be like, hey. I don't think so. Yeah, you're probably right. There is a level of discomfort that comes with being a grown-up and when it comes to your salary and asking for more money, the fear always is that you'll look greedy. But the other side of that coin is you do amazing work. You have a lot to offer and they're getting a deal by getting you even at the price you're asking for, that you're going to give them the best possible work product. They're investing in their future by investing in you. We so often worry about what other people think of us that people get murdered because of it. I had a bad feeling about that guy, but I didn't want to be offensive. Right. If they've offered you a job and you're asking them for more money during the negotiations. Yeah. And the funny part, too, is people ask me for more money all the time and I'm never offended. But you have in your mind, Mm -hmm. it's associated with greed. And so instead of saying it's associated with your value. Right. You Mm -hmm. look at it the other way. And I think as women, 
And right. maybe men too. I don't know. We tend to do that. Yeah. If Especially if you're not the main breadwinner of the family, you're mm-hmm. like, I don't want to run the risk of losing this job because, or right. I can make up the difference in commission was always what I thought when I was in sales before. I'm like, oh, I don't mm-hmm. have a college degree and I can make up the difference by being a really good salesperson. But you can't really ever make up the difference because no matter how much you make, it's still not that extra right. $10,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine having to work on commission. I, there's no way I could do it. It's no. very exciting. I would hate every single second of it. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm getting sweaty thinking about that. It's almost as bad as the dentist. (laughs) You can't change your world if you don't understand the money coming and going from your world. It's just a fact. Well, that's my biggest problem is it's not that I don't understand it. It's that for some reason, it's not something that I'm great at. Would you purchase something for someone that put you in financial distress? Absolutely. 100%. Both of my kids bought me extravagant gifts for Christmas. They did. They really did. And I made them take them back. It wasn't that I wasn't grateful. I was super grateful. I loved that my kids were so generous that they thought of these things that were (laughs) beyond. But I know that they're both getting started. And the money that they spent, I couldn't justify receiving something. I would have had to have written them a check before they left. They would have had to have gotten money for her. What does that sound like? (laughs) I think it depends on the situation and the person and what their love language is and how it's received. And there's just so much. But I feel like I always want to do the most. Even at the detriment to yourself. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Gift giving isn't really my strong suit. I'm okay at gift giving, but I am have a harder time with gift receiving. I don't know why. I just had a birthday. I know I didn't even get you a birthday present. I you know. were gone. I, all I've been thinking about is how you didn't give me a gift. No, it never even crossed my Dang mind. It. But this is the first birthday I've had since I've had the new boyfriend. And I was like, I was never like, I'm not going to tell you when my birthday is. Never ask me. But we had talked about it. I was going out there and my girlfriend Maria was like, you guys going to celebrate your birthday? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to bring it up. She's like, what do you mean you're not going to bring it up? I'm like, what am I going to say? My birthday's next Thursday. Please have a gift and a plan ready for me. (laughs) And she's like, you're not going to say anything. And I was like, no, why would I say something? A huge part of me was literally hoping that he wouldn't remember and I could just go about my life and not have to deal with it. But your feelings would have been hurt also. Secretly, they would have. Maybe they would have, but maybe they wouldn't because I just feel sometimes icky getting gifts. Some people love that. It's different strokes for different folks. And I just don't like it. If I have any parting thoughts for the people who are listening and the women that are listening, it is that I can balance a $7 million budget at work, but at home, a significantly less budget. (laughs) Significantly less. Yeah. But that's one part of it. I think that we need to keep remembering that we have unlimited earning potential. That we can do whatever we want, but we can't do that unless we understand how the money comes and goes within our own households, what our retirement looks like, what our savings look like. I mean, you talked to somebody about it. Yeah, I did. I finally went to a financial planner, which was extremely helpful in so many ways and has helped a lot. But I also want to say real quick that I feel like that speech you were giving was completely reminding me of like the Wolf of Wall Street. I don't remember the movie. Jordan Belfort is out there and he's like... Uh, people have said I'm very similar to Jordan Belfort. <laughs> he's like, unlimited potential of selling. Get out there and sell those penny bonds, penny stocks or whatever. 
I do not encourage any of you to buy penny stocks, <laughs> particularly. <laughs> I mean, he ended up with Margot Robbie, just putting that out there. Okay. She's I don't beautiful. Care. She is beautiful. She's Barbie. I don't think that Leonardo DiCaprio is very attractive. Though. No, he's gross. And he's not fun or funny. And the reason I know that is because Nate Bargatze said he wasn't. And I believe everything Nate Bargatze says. I do says. believe everything he says, too. Yeah. Okay, can I ask you this? It's not about money. No. But there's a new TikTok going on. The girl's like, I want to know who your absolutely ridiculous, non-traditional celebrity crush. And if anyone gets on here and gives me any kind of bullshit like Brad Pitt or... Leonardo DiCaprio or somebody like that. No, that's not what this is about. And I've only seen a couple of stitches to it, but the first one was, I'm not ashamed to say it, but I will always, always give a hall pass to Jack Black. I find him to have a super annoying personality. I really like that movie High Infidelity that he was in, so he doesn't bother me. Yeah, no, never Jack Black. But mine would be probably Benicio Del Toro. He is a renowned, beautiful person. Benicio Del Toro, he looks dirty. He's been on The Sexiest Man Alive. He does not count. Damn it. I thought for sure he would count. No. Mm, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Wait, who? Why are you looking know. at me like that? I don't know. You're I'm looking just at surprised. me like someone. No, you apparently only like traditionally attractive people. Yes. Okay, fine. <laughs> I don't like any of those weirdo guys like the buck tooth guy that you like who's tall who is in Girlfriends or... Oh, Adam Driver? Yes, I do. I just like him in that video so I sent you. Ugh. He's not. I liked him in Girls a lot. Girls. Oh, Billy Bob Thornton? No. Really? Mm-mm. Okay. Obviously not Adam Sandler. You've already shit on him. <laughs> he's super famous. I did love Bernie Mac, but he's dead, so... He, I think, is... He's attractive, right? He's funny. He wore funny suits. He's real funny. I saw Adam Sandler talking about getting a hip replacement, and it was pretty funny. And I was like, see, I can get my hip replaced. Adam Sandler did it. (laughs) We could recoup together. All right, we got to end this. This has been going on too long. If you have any money advice for Steph, feel free to (laughs) say something in our comments. But mostly... Or if you wanted to start a GoFundMe for more black dresses... (laughs) Absolutely do not do that. There will be no GoFundMes for black dresses for Stephanie. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. We can't wait to talk with you again next week on Tragically Uncurious. Like and follow us on Facebook at Tragically Uncurious Podcast and on Instagram at Tragically Uncurious. And while you're at it, please follow us on your favorite platforms such as Apple, Spotify, or iHeart. You'll automatically receive our podcasts as soon as they're published on Wednesday morning.